This is part two of our interview with Nicole Davis on perfectionism. Welcome to Coach Your Brains Out, the show that explores learning from the top minds in volleyball and beyond. With your hosts, John Mayer, Billy Allen, Andrew Fuller, and Nils Nielsen. So we want to start getting into perfectionism. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you just said something about, you know, being, I think, just being like hypercritical of oneself. And, and that seems mm-hmm. to be a component of perfectionism. But can you, can you start uh, telling us just what is perfectionism? Perfectionism is tough. It's, uh, I think a lot of people think of it as a, like a mindset. Um, or a way of thinking, but it's it's really like a way of being. And again, there are a lot of theories about what what how it's developed that go back to learning early and what's modeled for you early on. Um, but it's really about trying to perfect an imperfect self. And it is everything to do with your relationship with yourself and unrealistic expectations. And what tends to take place is it amplifies mental health issues. So it's been linked to depression, suicide, eating disorders, health disease. Um, But also, just if we scale back to like performance, it leads to rumination. And so, you know, to put context around that, um, I I was highly self-critical and perfectionistic for most of my career. So I could have one of the best days of my life of practice or at a match and go home. And the only thing I could think about was the one mistake, the one ball I didn't pass perfect, you know, and that rumination is detrimental to sustainable performance over time. But it's also the antithesis of finding joy in an experience. Again, that also that like, incessant hyper-focusing drilling down to what could have been or should have been what went wrong and self-critique um is it's really not sustainable again what what's hard about it is it'll often drive you to get good right so um, there is a drive for achievement that comes with it, but it is a quick path to burnout and fatigue. So again, like perfectionism, what, how it relates to performance is it's just an incessant programming of the mind to look for what's wrong. Um, and, it, and it's suboptimal for performance. Uh, it tends to lead to a lot of anxiousness and, and you know, like if, if you're someone who procrastinates because you're worried about getting it right, it could be born from that um, as well. What I've also noticed is that um, it gets in the way of resiliency, which is really the ability to bounce back um, from adversity, from difficult events. And you have to be able to stay in difficult things for long periods of time to get to beautiful and amazing. And if there's always the lens of perfectionism, it's really hard to stay in it and not pack up early and quit when things get difficult. Uh, so I, I think that's also how it impacts performance. Um <laughs> Yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, I was wondering if it's, is it so deeply rooted that is it even possible to make changes or is it just more just about bringing awareness to it? Um, Well, 
Uh, yeah, it's a great question. One, when we talk about any sort of behavioral change, in, including mindset uh, or patterns of thoughts and beliefs, it starts with awareness. Um, and so, you know, if we look at perfectionism, this goes back to self-talk. Like, how do you communicate yourself, Com communicate with yourself? You can start training self-talk um, to become more aware of how you communicate, whether it's productive for you or not. And then again, this, a lot of the therapy would for perfectionists in a clinical setting would come back to like mindfulness meditation and self-acceptance and self-compassion and um, enhancing those skill sets so that um, there's a letting go of the lens in certain situations so that you must be. Sorry, I was on mute. Yeah. So Nicole, if we, if we have athletes who are perfectionists and clearly I'm not one because I just had myself on mute um, and those traits have helped them <laughs> get where they are now. So, and I, I think especially coaching college, we're probably dealing with this more often than people in high school. Um, yeah. And certainly at the national team level, it's probably pretty endemic. Um how do we help them help nudge them towards being a healthy striver? Mm -hmm. Again, the question, like, is this working for you anymore? Like I, I you know, like I, I get that this is uh, anymore. So like, that's a, yeah, that's like, it's such a yeah. part of the question, right? Yeah. Cause you know, like I, I think that uh, Dr. Mike, Dr. Mike, sorry, I'll use a lot of references to Dr. Mike because I've uh, oh, just been around him for so many years, but he has a, a saying that um, growth comes from getting uncomfortable and pain is what causes change. And that question, is this working for you anymore? Or a little bit of tension. Um, and what's likely to happen is that they'll realize that there's some sort of pain around how they're approaching um, the thing they care about most. And hopefully that'll drive a little bit of awareness enough to create some sort of motivation towards change. Um, so for me, that's, you know, when I, when I go back to moments where I've really made a decision to do differently and think differently, like that's been inherent in it is like, wait a second, the realization that like this may have worked at one point in my life, but it's not working anymore. And it, you know, and I'll, I'll go, Full self-disclosure, if I look at like one of my greatest coping me mechanisms and growing up in dysfunctional family and then like going through like the process of being an athlete and trying to become an Olympian is compartmentalization, uh, compartmentalization of my emotions. Um, and it, it worked really well for me. It was a great coping mechanism through my career for dealing with difficult things. It doesn't work really well in my intimate relationships. And I finally reached a point where I had to ask myself that question, you know, like, is this working for me anymore? And the answer was a resounding no. And so that was enough for me because I value relationships to address it and to try to create some change and not like, not ignore it or like um, judge myself for it. It was a wonderful coping mechanism for me. And it helped me get through a lot of stuff in my life and throughout my career. But it's not working anymore. So how do I want to do different, you know? So I think that question is really important. And in my experience, coaching college athletes, at least, um, and even professional athletes, is it, is it really resonates with them. Uh, so I would say 
start with that. The second is that, and now I'm going back up to like culture and language is, do you teach, for example, if the opposite of perfectionism might be having a growth mindset or a, a, a value on process, um, a value on experience, a value on relationships, that sort of thing. So as a coach, are you teaching that every single day? So do you start practice, for example, with some sort of 30 seconds to three minutes teaching about growth mindset? And maybe it's a quote and some story about why it matters and not just for individual performance, but why it matters to the culture and the team and the mission of the team. Um, maybe it's, uh, you know, like you play some sort of video and there's lots of great examples of people demonstrating a growth mindset, um, whatever it is that resonates with the athletes that you're coaching, but you can teach the value of, for example, self-acceptance, self-compassion of having a growth mindset and an openness to learning of being present and exactly where you Investing in relationships and development, all that stuff you can teach. Practice today here, strategy and tactics for the game, blah, blah, blah. And don't teach what used to be called intangibles. Can you can you bring some awareness to, to coaches um, and maybe explain some of the ways that coaches do build up perfectionist traits in athletes? Sure. When we talk about outcomes and execution all the time, then it creates an anxiety that I'm not enough and that I need to be perfect to be accepted. And so rather than talking about outcomes and execution, talk about the person. I remember one of my first interactions with Karch when he took over as head coach. So he, he said to me, um, people, my nickname on the net, Coley, I'm, I'm here to help you be the best you you can be. And that's very different from, okay, you're going to be the best Libra in the world. Or, hey, here are your numbers. Uh, not that great this week, you know, like, so when you talk to people and you invest in the relationship with the human being first, that, that automatically creates space that they matter more than the thing that you're doing. And so then that can let go a little bit of what usually underlies perfection is, is that like, I need to be perfect to be accepted, to be welcome, to be loved, whatever it is. Um, so I think when you invest in relationships, it's one way to, uh, to, to get around that. So, so, Nicole, how do you rectify, you know, really valuing the person and valuing process and um, but also, you know, wanting to track results in in training, like in competition, obviously, you it's easy mm -hmm. to track results. But mm -hmm. in, a, in a training environment where we do want to value the person and let mm -hmm. them know that they're so much more than the number on the whiteboard um, mm -hmm. of the, how many points they put up in a certain game. How, how do we do better at balancing that um, mm -hmm. and creating an environment where, you know, we're, we're doing the best possible way of it? Yeah, it's tough. It really is hard to find a balance because outcomes do matter and statistics do tell us a lot of great information. Um, but at the end of the day, they, they are just distractions. And so I think we don't find enough coachable moments uh, where someone is exhibiting a behavior that deeply matters to the team you know so if, if we want to if we value having a growth mindset and learning when you catch someone doing something different than they've done before pointing that out in front of the entire team because that's like hey 
you matter to us and you're such a great example of everything we want to be about, which is an openness to learning and growth mindset. And like, I just gave you feedback about how to do this and you welcomed it and you made a change right away. Like, Hey gang, meaning the whole team, like pointing it out, like, this is exactly how we want to do things around here. And so then you're loving the person up for the way that they've demonstrated their character, um, in a, in a moment. Um, and so, like, what do you value in your culture? Are you looking to um, love up behaviors that are exhibited that matter most to the culture of the team and the mission of the team? Does that so make sense? Yeah, totally. So it's it's not a matter of, like, not keeping track of scores ever, but it's no. it's what we're celebrating. It's, hey, okay, exactly. we're taking, you know, we're, we're keeping score on this. Um, yep. so that we have something to track over time, but we, you know, we're going to be highlighting moments of a personal struggle and perseverance over, you know, much more than, okay, who won this silly little, you know, game. That's right. Yeah. And it, and it, it's anything that pertains to the culture that you want to develop, um, or the characteristics that you want exhibited in your athletes. And the more that you can love that up one, it models, um, it creates a model for how other people can do it as well. But it also is a signal that like you, you matter outcomes matter as well, but like, we're not going to talk about those. We're taking stats, but I'm going to talk about what an amazing person you are right now. You know, like if I'm in the gym with Courtney and it's a hard day for her, but she's got undaunted enthusiasm, which is what her personal philosophy is all about and (laughs) what she's all about. Then I'm going to love her up and be like, yo, you got it today. Like your fire brought me along. Thank you. You know, and you can do that as a coach as well, but like finding, um, finding principles and values and, and behaviors that matter to the people that you're coaching are really important. And then being able to point them out, um, and celebrate everyone's uniqueness as a human being is really important. So good. So when you were a player, how often did you compare yourself to the players in your position, um, compare yourself to teammates in the weight room? You know, there, there are so many different ways in which you can yeah. compare yourself. And, and what were some of the negatives that you saw in that um, uh, in your experience? Mm-hmm. Yeah, incessantly is the short answer, uh, <laughs> at, at least until the end of my career. Um, you know, what's tough about being a a Libro is that only one gets to go on the national team. And so it's a lonely island. It's a lonely island. And on the national team, you know, like we're one of the best teams in the world. So that means that, um, the only way to like, when I first got to the national team, the only way I thought that I could secure my spot was like to be the best Libro in the world. Because if you're on the USA team, which is one of the best teams in the world, the other Libros are some of the best in the world as well. Like, you know, forget being some of the best in the country. There's some of the best in the world as well. The second and third Libro on a depth chart on national team could start for a lot of other countries. And so my model when I first got to the national team was like, I had to be the best Libro in the world. So not only was I comparing myself to to other athletes on the team, but like the rest of the world as well, um, which there's a trap in. Um, it can be good to compare yourself. I don't want to say that it's all bad um, because sometimes, especially if there's a lens of like a growth mindset or an openness to learning and doing it and what you're comparing yourself to is within reach of your skill set, it can be motivating and it can help you learn. Um, But when there's an incessant comparison or you're comparing yourself to something that's like out of your reach, it could be debilitating. Um, one to your self-confidence, but also to performance over time. And so um, I, 
one of the shifts for me was when Karch set me aside and was like, hey, I never thought about being the best in the world, but I was the best in the world. But what I thought about most was like how I could help the people around me. <laughs> and I was like, wow, <laughs> that's brilliant. <laughs> uh, and so it was it was really through like some of those difficult conversations that I had with Karch that I started to, to reorganize how I thought about my role on the team and what I was pursuing. Um, and so there's a shift from the comparison model, which is inevitable. It's, it's the way our brain works, um, to like, what am I doing today to help those around me? And then also like, am I showing up in my most authentic way possible? Cause that was really difficult at certain points, um, in my career. So it, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of awareness to, to recognize when you're in it and when you're doing it and whether it's helping you or it's, it's not helping you in those moments. Um, I think also part of the shift was understanding that like this idea that like competition is not like against others, but that, that it's with others and that I needed, you know, Tom and Kayla or whoever to be like the best that they could possibly be on any given day. Cause that was the only way that I could be the best that I could possibly be. If I'm bringing my best, they're bringing their best for, you know, the, the old saying, like you're sharp, sharpening the sword at both ends. Um, or, um, rising tide floats all boats. Um, whereas like in the beginning, I thought that like my competition, my competing to be my best was at the cost of others. And it doesn't have to be that way. In fact, it's impossible to explore our own potential without others. So my model for what competition meant also shifted towards the end of my career, more towards like, hey, I need, we need, we all need to show up and be our best and to be able to bring that out if someone's not there because that's just gonna make each of us better. And really the name of the game on the world stage is not like how talented we are in most circumstances. It's like, how fast are we learning? And we, we can't learn at a fast clip if, if all of us aren't showing up at, as our best every single day. Love it. Can, can you give us another like big rock like you did for self-talk on perfectionism and just how coaches can create a culture where it's about striving and excellence, but not being perfect? Uh, yeah, one of the one of the concise ways that we talk about it when we teach leaders or coaches about the type of organization or team culture that they want to develop um, is that it is relationship based, developmentally minded with one aim for people to be their best which is different than the product to be the best. So Coach Carroll, Coach Pete Carroll, the Seattle Seahawks, that's the type of organization that he runs. And so you can use any of those as prongs um, to teach from, you know, is this about relationships because relationships mattered. So do you as a coach take time to understand your athletes? And then do you create space or type of culture where there's vulnerability for the athletes to have conversations and get to know each other as people as well? Is it developmentally minded? Do you talk about outcomes and execution or do you talk about process and growth and learning? And then what's the aim for, for the volleyball to be the best or for the people to become the best? Because at the end of the day, like most athletes, especially at an elite level, are using sport to facilitate some sort of understanding about themselves. Um, it, it's through getting tested in that environment that we really learn mastery of self. And so, like, w what are your objectives? What are you, what are you like, guiding people towards? That's great. And uh, to take us into it, we have a couple just random questions to close. Um, and one of them was about Pete Carroll here. It's 
Um, just observing from the outside, it looks like it's really fun to play for him and maybe joyful is a better word, not fun. But I'm wondering how does he balance that, that joy and optimism with all the challenges, the, I'm sure there's tons of negative parts of a season. Um, yeah, how does he find that balance? First of all, if you ask any athlete that's played for Coach Carroll and has played for Coach Belichick, they would say the expectations are extremely high on both ends. So the expectations aren't any different. Um, you can create an environment where people feel like they matter and there's joy in the process, even when it's difficult, and still have high expectations. And I think that's a common misconception. Um, I think the other misconception is that like um, optimism is fluffy and not realistic. And that's not the case. When you look at research around resiliency and those that are most resilient, they also tend to be most optimistic. And the reason being is like when you're down by 31 points at the half, <laughs> which the, the Seahawks have been at times, if you think something bad's going to happen, which is what pessimism sounds like, you'll pack up and quit before like you get to anything good. So optimism is linked to resiliency because it, it helps us stay open to what's possible in the future. And so if you want a resilient team um, or a badass team, whatever phrase you want to use, um, training optimism to find what's good, even in difficult circumstances, is the way to do that and to to put more context around this, like optimism, you can think of optimism as it, it leads to options. So when a Navy SEAL special forces operator unit drops in the middle of the night to somewhere in the middle of the world and things go wrong right away, they have no choice but to find what's possible in the situation. And that is valuable to sports as well. So Nicole, it's pretty clear that you've spent a lot of time developing the skill of packaging messaging and really <laughs> yeah dude this is so good <laughs> uh and, and just really getting getting so adept at, at bundling it up for athletes so that it's easily remembered easily digested how like mm -hmm. can you take us through some formative times or processes that you went through to get better at that. I mean, just talking about, you know, for, for coaches who are listening, who want to mm -hmm. get better at delivering messages in a concise, articulate way, just in the way that you have. I think the first is to have key phrases that are repeated over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, the second is um, not to use synonyms. So mm. we mud, we mm. muddy the water in the message when we're saying the same thing um, different ways using different mm. words. Um, that's not to say that the delivery of the message can get creative, right? Uh, you can be creative with how you're delivering the message so long as the message is really consistent. The, the phrase Coach Carroll uses is uncommonly consistent. Um, he's uncommonly consistent with the lang language he uses. And then, you know, if you if you ever have an opportunity to go into like BMAC, which is their training facility, like these key phrases are all over the place um, so that they're reminders of what the organization is all about. Um, so I think those are a couple of things. And then what tends to take place, especially I've noticed with amateur coaches, is they tend to become long-winded or they give too much information. Um, and it's almost like an anxiety that if they don't say it now, that they won't have another opportunity to say it. And 100% that athlete will make the same mistake in the future, you know? So like, um, I, I would say just like, keep it short and simple uh, when possible. And and if you can always speak in terms of like how you want someone to do right versus the don't method, <laughs> uh, don't do that. 
tell them exactly how you want them to do right and keep it as succinct as possible. Um, I think those are three strategies for packaging messaging so that it, it gets really deep. And then the fourth would be say it often. You might sound like a broken record. That's okay. If you don't say it a million times, it's not going to get deep enough. I'm fired up. I'm ready to that go. Was great, <laughs> that was a good <laughs> final question. I like that one. Let's go to practice, guys. Let's go. Let's go. Get better. Um, John, you got anything or do you want me to take it home? Take us home. Dude, well, Nicole, thank you so much. This is really a, a gift to who cares about the listeners. It's all about John and, and myself. <laughs> we didn't even record it. Sorry. Yep. Yeah, no, we, <laughs> this is just an hour long phone call. We do yeah, you into free session for us. I love that. Yeah. Um, no, seriously. Thank you so much. Is there anything that you want to let us, uh, remember you by on this episode or, you know, leave us with, yeah, I mean, if you guys get a chance, not not to sound salesy, but I, be, I believe what we're in what yeah, we're doing. Yeah, that's what you're here compete, to do. It, it, I believe in what we're doing at Compete to Create, and so I also just don't think that there's um, enough resources out there for kids and parents and coaches to understand what mindset training is. And so, yeah. um, if you want to learn more, or we've developed an online course that will distill down kind of. Um, all the psychological skills and mindset um, training uh, over eight to 10 weeks. And then the, the plus is that you have me in there as a mindset coach for you. Um, you can do this with individuals and teams. Um, but anyways, punch over to compete2create.net and the course is called Finding Your Best. If you use the code ND, as in Nicole Davis, ND50, you can get 50 bucks off. Um, hey. would love would love to see you in the course um, and just to like be on the journey with you through mindset training uh, because that's what I'm most passionate about. And I've seen how it's, you know, like really positively impacted slash changed some people's lives. Um, so I, I believe in it. I wish I would have known what I know now when I was younger um, or even, you know, when I was a young coach uh, to be able to impact people differently. Well, your, your passion comes through loud and clear and, um, you know, I think probably at least like eight to 10 people will hear that message listening to this podcast. So you're going to get big numbers. <laughs> eight to 10 million. Yeah, <laughs> optimism. I see you guys. <laughs> yeah. No, thank you so much. This has been yeah, this super, great. super helpful. And um, we can't wait to, to watch you in your, your path and, um, you know, inspiring and helping so many people along the way. Alright guys, thanks so much. Thanks, Nicole. Thank you for listening to Coach Your Brains Out by Gold Medal Squared. We wanted to give another thank you to all our patrons who help make this show possible. To support the show, visit patreon.com slash coachyourbrainsout. Again, thank you so much.